This is a Federal News Network podcast. The U.S. Agency for International Development is looking to expand the roster of organizations it partners with around the world. So it's launched a set of online resources to help new partners get together with experienced ones and with the agency. It's all housed at a new site called workwithusaid.org. Here with details, USAID's industry liaison, Matt Johnson. Mr. Johnson, good to have you on. Thanks, Tom. Good to be here. And maybe just quickly review for us what partners do and how they relate to USAID. Basically, the work you do overseas is done through local partners, correct? That's correct. So the U.S. Agency for International Development, or USAID for short, is a government agency that supports U.S. foreign policy by improving the lives and well-being of people around the world. Uh, We are funded by the American people. It's American taxpayer dollars that support our budget. In each country we work in, we have different goals and interventions that we are planning to undertake. We then look for organizations to partner with us to help implement what we call projects or activities around the world. You know, each year we partner with around 3,000 organizations in more than 100 countries on behalf of the American people. And like you mentioned, we partner with local organizations, but we also partner with U.S. small businesses, the private sector, faith-based communities, uh, universities, as well as non-governmental organizations. And we do that through working through grants, contracts, and cooperative agreements, which all of them can be found on SAM.gov and Grants.gov, like most other federal agencies. All right. And let's talk about this latest gambit here, a new site uh, work with USAID.org. What are you trying to accomplish here? So really for us at USAID, you know, advancing diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility is sort of at the heart of our work, both with whom we partner and how we partner. We know that organizations around the world can play a role in addressing sort of the global challenges. So we're continually looking to expand who we partner with. To that end, we wanted to create a platform that allows us to more intentionally and sustainably connect with groups around the world. So the new work with USAID.org is a free resource hub for both prospective and current partners that allows them to connect with one another as well as learn how to partner with us. It's also a critical resource for USAID staff having people around the world. It's often a difficult time trying to identify who are some of the capable partners that are out there doing work. So we have on the website something called a partner directory that allows organizations to create a profile, sort of identify themselves to us and others in the community, letting folks know who they are. We also have a really helpful pre-engagement assessment that allows organizations to self-evaluate their readiness to actually be able to compete with USAID funding. Then we have a library of resources, a news and insights blog, and a frequently asked questions that really helps guide organizations on the pathway to partnership with USAID. Now, when you have partners in foreign countries doing the work locally and you use diversity and inclusion, how does that apply overseas where the whole setup and the whole demographic situation is completely different than it might be in the United States? So I think for USAID, you know, we want our programs and activities to reflect not only the American people, but the people in the communities that we're working in. So with our partnerships, we're looking for partners that both reflect the diversity of the United States as well as the diversity of the communities that we are in. There's a lot of diversity in a lot of the countries that we work in as well. And so we want to make sure that we're accurately capturing those organizations and working with those groups to promote their development in the countries that we're working in. And do you know which country is like the biggest recipient of USAID work, just out of curiosity? Yeah, so it changes from year to year which countries are are the biggest recipients of work. USAID has been very active in places like Afghanistan, Iraq throughout the years historically have been some of our larger programs. Got it. So you're reaching out to other and trying to get a more diverse and newer crop, I guess, of partners both here and overseas. What's the incentive for existing partners to give those people advice and help because it could take away from their ability to work with USAID? 
Yeah, that, you know, that's a, a great question. I think sometimes a, a common misperception, you know, a lot of our traditional partners organizations that we've been working with for a long time are actually connecting with local partners, working with others as subcontractors, subawardees on their work. So we actually do have a vast number of sort of sub-partners that are working with us. And so for our traditional partners or organizations that are used to working with us, having this directory and being able to register really allows them to be able to identify other capable organizations that they can partner with. You know, if we're going into a new country or new program in Kenya and education, an existing partner that's been working with USAB can research, you know, what are some of the other capable education organizations that are based in Kenya that they could potentially partner with. So it actually really helps them to strengthen their proposals to USAID and help them to promote better development in their work because they're being able to partner with organizations globally around the world. We're speaking with Matt Johnson. He's Industry Liaison and Communications Director for the Office of Acquisition and Assistance at the U.S. Agency for International Development. And is it the opportunity for partners, either here or again overseas, to subcontract or subgrant with primary partners? Does that relationship exist? Yeah, that exists. And I think that's one of the key elements that we're trying to set up with this new platform. For many of the organizations that are new to USAID, one of the first questions they ask are, who are some of USAID's existing partners? Who can we partner with? We know that it's a challenge sometimes partnering with any U.S. government organization just because of the regulations and requirements that exist in getting federal funding. And so actually working with a sub-partner to USAID program or project is one of the best pathways into to working with USAID. And so creating this partner directory allows us to help connect our longstanding traditional partners with newer partners to be able to better partner and work together. And are the partners mostly grantees or mostly contractors, or is it, say, evenly divided? It's about a third of our program are contractors, about a third of our program are grantees, and about a third use what we call cooperative agreements, which are sort of a mixture between grants and contracts. It's a pretty evenly split across the three different large mechanisms that we use. And getting back to this new site, this new set of resources, it sounds like in many ways it's almost acting as a directory for newcomers to be able to find out who they can work with. Yeah, that's certainly one of the key elements of it. But really one of the, the best things about the website is something we call a pre-engagement assessment that allows organizations to identify what is their readiness and able to work with USAID. As we look at trying to work with new partners, there's often a gap between sort of what USAID is trying to do and what an organization, what their sort of internal capacity is. So with this pre-engagement assessment, we've set up a very simple 48-question assessment that organizations can look at their programs, their budget and finance, sort of their human resource structure and setup that really allow them to kind of determine what is their readiness to be able to work with USAID. We've curated all of the resources that kind of exist out there of how to work in international development and created this kind of curated library of tools and information. So actually, after an organization takes this pre-engagement assessment, they are directed to resources and information that actually helps them build their own capacity to be able to work with USAID. Since we launched the website, we have over 800 organizations already registered in the partner directory, and people are beginning to take this partner, this pre-engagement assessment. And so it really is a place for folks to connect with one another, but then also a place for organizations really to determine what is their even potential to be able to work with USAID and then really to build their own capacity to be in a better position to compete for funding. I was going to say the effect of this is not only that you find new partners, but also that you, in some sense, build up the local capabilities of partners in those countries to work with USAID or anybody else they can work with. Exactly. That's one of the critical goals of what USAID is trying to do is build up the capacity of local organizations. And having these tools and resources allow us to really help build a cadre of capable organizations in all of the countries that we're working in. 
Because infrastructure, energy, environment, education are areas that USAID works in. And so I imagine, say, this is probably a crude example, but if a construction company knows how to build out of mud and whatever, but USAID wants to build out of bricks and cinder blocks for permanence and and safety, then that local company could move up a notch in its abilities to build things. Exactly, exactly. I think what we're always looking to do, how can we strengthen the communities and countries that we're working in to get to a point where foreign assistance or the work that USAID is no longer needed in the country that we're working in? And building the capacity of local organizations is critical to that. Matthew Johnson is Industry Liaison and Communications Director for the Office of Acquisition and Assistance at the U.S. Agency for International Development. Thanks so much for joining me. Thanks, Tom. appreciate it. We'll post this interview along with a link to that new site at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on demand. Subscribe at Podcast One or wherever you get your shows. Hello and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the President and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual actual uh, afloat commands. Uh, the first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything, and it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, and then after I retired after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm, I'm currently retired and enjoying life, And um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style? And how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin. And what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I, 
We'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from C to the C-suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career. But really, it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Uh, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that, I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up. Uh, make decisions. Uh, do what you think is right. And you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And, and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy, and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy, and um, his his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing, and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes. When I was at Navy Federal, I would tell C-Stories. Uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment, and it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book, and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon, uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. 
and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons in, in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, we, WAPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally and, agree. And, and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler, and to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast. We'll see you next time. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.